Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In this episode, we go over the topic of blood cell types from the hematology section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with the first blood cell type, basophil. In terms of the structure, basophils have a bilobate nucleus covered by densely staining basophilic granules. With respect to the function, they mediate allergic reaction. They are derived from granulocyte precursors, and in terms of pathologies, basophilia can be seen with chronic myelogenous leukemia. Other important features about basophils are that basophilic granules contain heparin as an anticoagulant, histamine as a vasodilator, and vasoactive amines. Note that they can also synthesize leukotrienes. The next type of blood cell that we'll discuss today are platelets, or thrombocytes. In terms of the structure, they are the smallest formed element in the blood, and they are anucleate. With respect to the function, their main function is primary hemostasis and blood clotting. They prevent leakage of damaged vessels. When activated by endothelial injury, they aggregate with other platelets. They interact with fibrinogen to form a hemostatic plug. Platelets are derived from small fragments of membrane or cytoplasm from megakaryocytes. In terms of pathologies related to platelets, thrombocytopenia or platelet dysfunction results in petechiae and increased bleeding time. Other important features are that they contain dense granules containing ADP and calcium and alpha granules containing the von Willebrand factor and fibrinogen. Approximately one-third of the platelet pool is stored in the spleen. Asplenia results in thrombocytosis. The lifespan of platelets is between 8 to 10 days. This is important because aspirin permanently inactivates platelets and it takes this long to fully replenish functional platelets. The next type of blood cells are erythrocytes. In terms of their structure, they are anucleate and biconcave. This biconcave shape gives a large surface area to volume ratio. In terms of their function, they are primarily involved in gas exchange, both oxygen and carbon dioxide. This is due to the large surface area. In terms of carbon dioxide transport, the membrane contains the chloride bicarbonate antiporter. This is important in the physiologic chloride shift. This allows the RBC to transport carbon dioxide from the periphery to the lungs for elimination. Erythrocytes are derived from reticulocytes, so essentially reticulocytes are immature erythrocytes. There are two main pathologies associated with erythrocytes. Anisocytosis means varying sizes and poikilocytosis means varying shapes. In terms of other important features, glucose functions as the only source of energy for RBCs. RBCs lack mitochondria so they cannot use the citric acid cycle, the beta oxidation of fatty acids, or ketone body synthesis. The survival time of RBCs is 120 days. The next type of blood cells are mast cells. In terms of their structure, they are cells and tissues with surface-bound IgE. In terms of their function, they mediate allergic reaction via degranulation when IgE on the surface is cross-linked. The secretory granules contain histamine, heparin, and eosinophilic chemotactic factors. They also contain tryptase. In terms of the derivative of these cells, mast cells resemble basophils structurally and functionally and are derived from the same precursor. With respect to pathologies, the main pathology that mast cells are involved in are type 1 hypersensitivity reactions. And relative to other important features, chromalin sodium prevents mast cell degranulation. 
The next type of blood cell are eosinophils. Eosinophils have a bilobate nucleus with large eosinophilic granules that do not cover the nucleus. With respect to their function, they defend against invasive helminthic infections. They do this using major basic protein. They also phagocytose antigen-antibody complexes. They contain the reaction following mast cell degranulation and produce anti-inflammatory histaminase and aryl sulfatase. Eosinophils are derived from granulocyte precursors. With respect to pathologies, the main pathology involved is eosinophilia. This occurs in neoplasms such as Hodgkin's lymphoma, allergic processes, asthma, collagen vascular diseases, and invasive helminths. The next type of blood cells are neutrophils. Neutrophils have a multilobulated nucleus, usually between three to five lobes, with large spherical azurophilic granules. In terms of their function, they are an acute inflammatory response cell, and they are phagocytic. They are derived from granulocyte precursor cells. With respect to pathologies associated with neutrophils, hypersegmented nuclei occur in vitamin B12 and or folate deficiencies, and there are usually more than five lobes. With respect to other important features, granules contain hydrolytic enzymes, lysozymes, myeloperoxidase, and lactoferrin. The next type of blood cells are monocytes. In terms of their structure, these cells are in the peripheral blood and they are larger than RBCs. They contain a kidney-shaped nucleus. Note that they have a, quote, frosted glass cytoplasm. With respect to their function, their main functions are phagocytosis, antigen presentation, and they differentiate into macrophages when they reach tissue. Monocytes are derived from monocytic precursors. In terms of their pathologies, Monocytic leukemia is the main pathology associated with monocytes. The next type of blood cells are macrophages. In terms of their function, the main functions are phagocytosis, antigen presentation, and tissue healing. Macrophages are derived from circulating monocytes. With respect to their pathologies, chronic inflammation may have dysregulated macrophages, and also mycobacterium tuberculosis can live inside macrophages. Other important features are that macrophages have a long life in tissues and are activated by gamma interferon. The next type of blood cells are dendritic cells. With respect to the function of dendritic cells, they are professional antigen-presenting cells, or APCs. They are the main inducers of primary antibody response. In terms of other important features about dendritic cells, they are also called Langerhan cells in the skin. The next type of blood cells are B lymphocytes. With respect to the structure of B lymphocytes, they contain a circular nucleus with small amounts of surrounding pale cytoplasm. The function of B lymphocytes is antibody production and antigen presentation. With respect to antibody production, B cells differentiate into plasma cells. B lymphocytes are derived from lymphocytic precursors in the bone marrow. Note that these cells mature in the bone marrow also. In terms of pathologies, B lymphocytes are associated with B cell lymphoma. The next type of blood cells are T lymphocytes. With respect to the structure of T lymphocytes, they have a circular nucleus with small amounts of surrounding pale cytoplasm. With respect to the function of T lymphocytes, they mediate the cellular immune responses. T cells differentiate into cytotoxic T cells, helper T cells, and suppressor T cells. Cytotoxic T cells are MHC class 1 CD8 positive. Helper T cells are of MHC class 2 and CD4 positive. They also help with antibody production. T 
lymphocytes are derived from lymphocytic precursors in the bone marrow. They mature in the thymus. With respect to the pathologies associated with T lymphocytes, helper T cells are destroyed in HIV infection, and T cell lymphomas are another possible scenario. And the last type of blood cell that we'll discuss today are plasma cells. With respect to the structure of plasma cells, they have an abundant amount of rough endoplasmic reticulum. They have an off-center nucleus with clock face chromatin. Relative to the function of plasma cells, they produce large amounts of antibody specific to a particular antigen. They are derived from B cells, and the main pathology associated is multiple myeloma. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A 31-year-old G1P0 woman presents for evaluation of contractions at 32 weeks of gestation. She says that she has been experiencing intermittent contractions every 2-3 to three hours and wanted to be evaluated to make sure that she wasn't in labor. On presentation, she is found to have a blood glucose of 235 milligrams per deciliter, though she has no past medical history of diabetes. Chart review reveals that her blood glucose levels throughout pregnancy until week 25 were normal, though she has not been seen in the last few weeks. The attending physician asks his medical student whether a hemoglobin A1c would be a good method for evaluating this patient. Which of the following is the best answer to this question? 1. No, because A1c does not measure average blood glucose levels. 2. No, because the lifespan of a red blood cell is around 120 days. 3. No, because this patient does not need to be evaluated for diabetes. 4. Yes, because A1c is the best measurement for average blood glucose levels. Or 5. Yes, because the lifespan of a red blood cell is around 30 days. And the correct answer choice is answer choice 2. No, because the lifespan of a red blood cell is around 120 days. This patient with elevated blood glucose levels only during pregnancy should be evaluated for gestational diabetes mellitus. Hemoglobin A1c is not a good method for assessing this disease because it averages blood glucose over the last 120 days and thus is not as sensitive to short-term changes in blood glucose. Remember, the hemoglobin A1c test measures the level of glycosylation of hemoglobin within circulating red blood cells. Glycosylation is a largely irreversible process that occurs over the life cycle of the red blood cell, which on average is about 120 days. Therefore, hemoglobin A1c level reflects the average concentration of circulating blood glucose over the life cycle of the red blood cell. It is one of the best metrics for assessing chronic diabetes for this reason. However, it is not a good metric for gestational diabetes mellitus because this disease develops over a shorter period of time. A hemoglobin A1c may be falsely normal if the elevation in blood glucose only started recently. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, no, because A1c does not measure average blood glucose levels is incorrect because A1c is the best measure of average blood glucose levels. Answer choice 3, no, because this patient does not need to be evaluated for diabetes is incorrect because this patient may have developed gestational diabetes and should be evaluated. Answer choice 4. 
yes, because A1C is the best measurement for average blood glucose levels is incorrect because the average blood glucose over the last 120 days is not a good metric for a short-term change in blood glucose such as that seen in gestational diabetes mellitus. A better test would be a glucose tolerance test. And finally, answer choice 5, yes, because the lifespan of a red blood cell is around 30 days is incorrect because the average lifespan of a red blood cell is around 120 days. In summary, the lifespan of a red blood cell is around 120 days, so hemoglobin A1c will measure the average blood glucose over the same time span. Next question. A 30-year-old male sheep farmer presents to his primary care provider complaining of abdominal discomfort. He reports gradual onset of abdominal fullness, fatigue, and a 10-pound weight loss over the past few months. On examination, his abdomen is mildly distended and tender to palpation in the right upper quadrant. An ultrasound of the right upper quadrant of his abdomen reveals a large cystic structure in the liver. A peripheral blood smear of the patient's blood shows abundant eosinophils with bilobed nuclei and large eosinophilic granules. Which of the following molecules is contained in the granules of the cells on the peripheral blood smear? 1. Myeloperoxidase 2. Tryptase 3. Heparin 4. Histamine or 5. Major basic protein And the correct answer choice is answer choice 5, major basic protein. The most likely diagnosis in this patient is a hydatid cyst due to helminthic infection. The peripheral blood smear demonstrates multiple eosinophils which use major basic protein to defend against invasive helminthic infections. In this patient with a large liver cyst and a history of significant exposure to sheep, the most likely diagnosis is a hydatid cyst. In humans, hydatid cysts are caused by infection with the larvae of the tapeworm Echinococcus granulosus. Echinococcus eggs are typically ingested, hatch in the intestine, and then disseminate to various parts of the body, most often the liver. Eosinophilia is commonly seen in patients with infections from helminths, such as Echinococcus, as the body attempts to defend against the helminths. Eosinophils can be differentiated from other granulocytes based on their bilobed nuclei and large eosinophilic granules. These granules contain major basic protein, a cytotoxic protein that plays a key role in the body's antiparasitic defense. In addition to helminthic infections, eosinophilia can also be seen in allergic reactions and collagen vascular diseases. Let's now review the incorrect answer choices. Answer choice 1, myeloperoxidase is an enzyme primarily expressed in neutrophil granules. Its main function is to produce hypochlorous acid from hydrogen peroxide during the neutrophil's respiratory burst. Answer choice 2, tryptase is an enzyme primarily expressed in mast cells. It is a proteinase enzyme that plays a role in anaphylactic reactions. Answer choice 3, heparin is an endogenous anticoagulant that is found in the granules of mast cells and basophils. And finally, answer choice 4, Histamine is an endogenous vasodilator that is found in the granules of mast cells and basophils. In summary, eosinophils are granulocytes that play a role in anti-helminth responses and can also be seen in allergic reactions and collagen vascular diseases. Eosinophil granules contain major basic protein, which induces a cytotoxic reaction against helminths. And that's all for this review about blood cell types. Hopefully that was helpful. 
This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from these MedBullets Step 1 podcasts so far, please consider leaving us a 5-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you are not already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.